You are now listening to the Fat Fix Podcast with David Flowers, a show talking about all things fat loss and health for the general population. Helping people understand why they are in the position they're in right now, rather than just focusing on what they need to do. Your no-nonsense personal trainer friend that you can have access to in your pocket whenever you need some help, guidance or just to kick up the arse. Hello and welcome to the Fat Fix podcast for episode number 23. This week I was joined by Jacob Skepis, who is a personal trainer from Melbourne in Australia. He is the owner of JPS Fitness and JPS Education, which is a very, very well-known educational company for us personal trainers. I've followed Jacob for quite a while now on social media and follow JPS and all their work and the content that they put out, not only for personal trainers, but for the general population is really, really good. Jacob has a wealth of knowledge in all aspects of training and nutrition. And today we covered something that I think will be of great value to you listeners. We delved deep into nutritional periodization. We basically looked into how people can structure their diet and ultimately not fall off the wagon the importance of weight maintenance, dietary adherence, covered dietary fatigue. This episode was absolutely brilliant and something that I'm confident you will all find very, very helpful. So without further ado, this is episode number 23 of the Fat Fix podcast, Falling Off the Diet Wagon, featuring Jacob Skepis. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to the Fat Fix podcast. Thank you for having me. Just before we get started, do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of a rundown on yourself, a bit of a background to who you are? Yes. So as I'm sure the listeners can tell, we don't share the same accent. So I'm not from your part of the world. I'm from far south in uh, Melbourne, Australia. I'm a personal trainer, have been for nearly 10 years now. So when I came out of uh, high school at the age of 18, I got straight into personal training. And as most do, started in a big box gym and slowly built up my client base and fell in love with all things fitness, to be honest. And whilst I was doing my personal training, I was also studying law, um, got through three years of my Bachelor of Law and only had one year remaining. And decided to make the jump into personal training and embark on a career as a fitness professional, even though I was far from a professional back then, um, at the age of 21 and haven't looked back. So I'm very fortunate now to be the founder and director of JPS Health and Fitness, which is our personal training and education company. Uh, We have a facility here in Melbourne and 12 coaches uh, in person and a number of coaches who work for us online around Australia and now moving into the educational space where we deliver seminars and a mentorship online, uh, educating personal trainers from around the world, which is really, really cool. Um, But my primary interests are teaching people how to lose fat, build muscle uh, and improve their strength. Uh, in a way that will not only get them the best results and help them reach their potential, but a manner that's sustainable and allows them to live a very uh, fruitful and enjoyable life. So that's me in a nutshell, man. 
Oh, that's great, mate. I think obviously today we spoke about, just before we hopped on, about people's ability to not be able to stick to a diet. And that's kind of what we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about people's adherence issues. What is, in terms of adherence, it's obviously a massive topic and there can be lots of factors that can influence that. But obviously today we're going to just stick to the dietary aspects and how people set up their nutrition. In terms of your experience dealing with people for, for many years, coaching clients and now personal trainers and what they're doing with clients, what are some of the um, biggest issues people run into when it comes to setting up the diet that they can actually be adherent to, for whether it's short-term and also long-term as well, which is the most important? Yeah, so I think you've pointed out one of the fundamental issues when it comes to dieting for fat loss, and that's adherence. So it's quite a complex and multifaceted uh, topic to discuss, but one of the primary issues that I see a lot of people run into when they're starting a diet to lose fat is that oftentimes they are unrealistic with their expectations. And that has a downstream effect on the way that they set up their diet and how they go about everything, both from the actual structure of the diet to their perception of what a fat loss diet should look like. So we see a lot of the time that people expect to lose kilos every week. And in turn, their diet methodology uh, and dietary choices reflect those expectations. So you'll see them eliminate entire food groups, entire macronutrients, and adopt quite extreme, unrealistic, and unsustainable uh, behaviors. And at the end of the day, that is what dieting is all about. Behavior modification in order to alter your body composition and lose body fat. So when we look at behavior modification, there are a number of things we need to address. And first and foremost is people's values, beliefs, and attitudes. So this ties into their expectations because they believe that a successful diet is one that allows them to lose a lot of weight really, really quickly. Um, they generally value um, you know, extreme weight loss approaches and they believe those to be you know, uh, very effective and their attitudes uh, obviously reflect all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, what people need to understand is that they simply need to make small modifications to their existing behaviors. And when we look at behaviors, we have deficit behaviors and we have excess behaviors. So deficit behaviors being things that we're not doing enough of uh, to achieve our goals and excess behaviors being things we're doing too much of that are detrimental to our goals. And this is where people try to overhaul their lifestyle. And they will generally uh, try to you know, eliminate all the deficits uh, and eradicate all of the excess behaviors all at once in one swell, a foul swoop, and they will jump on the latest fad diet, which completely uproots their entire behavior um, system, for lack of a better term. So this is where I think people fundamentally go wrong in terms of adhering because you generally can't sustain uh, extreme diets for long periods of time. And that means that your diet success is going to be quite limited. So instead, what I think is really beneficial is to look at fat loss through the lens of behavior modification and look to make small and incremental adjustments to your behavioral deficits and your behavioral excesses 
then monitoring and managing those over time as you would uh, your training and making sure that you're assessing your performance on those. So am I actually you know, sticking to uh, the behavioral modifications that I've said that I need to make? Have I been successful in doing that? And once you have, then you can slowly look to the next deficit or the next uh, excess and look to work on that. So that's uh, a quite abstract and I guess theoretical way to, to look at uh, dietary adherence, but I think it's rather useful, especially for coaches, um, because often adherence is not so much um, related to the actual diet itself. It's very much uh, dealing with the psychological challenges that we face as coaches and as individuals looking to diet, um, which is modifying behavior. Yeah, I think that's the big one, isn't it? It's the behavior change for, for most people. It's all well and good giving them a certain diet and expecting them to follow it. Or a lot of people do tend to follow it for a week. And it's something that I've spoke about in other podcasts is the importance of maintaining this new body weight. And you can give someone a diet. They're very, very good at losing weight, especially short term, but they have no kind of exit strategy from that. And it is kind of like an on and off switch for them rather than I've, I forgot if I heard it from now, there's an analogy like a dimmer switch, like we should set up somebody's diet like a dimmer switch. So we, we turn it up during periods of our life when we can do it or we can be ultimately adherent to it, turn it down a notch to make it less complicated when we do face life situations, when we've got mental mental work schedules, um, kids are going mental at home. Obviously, I've got no kids, so this <laughs> I can't relate to that. But at the same time, I understand it from a, an individual's point of view. And something that I've heard you speak about on other, other podcasts, um, Jacob, is like using a kind of zooming in and zooming out on the nutritional setup. So how can, we've obviously covered the behavior part of things and we need to increment then behavior changes to the setup and it be a kind of rolling alongside what we do for somebody's nutrition. But could you just speak about how people can set up their nutrition to stop them being this on and off switch or falling off the wagon, they'll go hard for a week and then they'll fall off the wagon or they'll go hard for a month, lose loads of weight, and then they'll just stop. How can you and what do you do with your clients to actually make this process much easier? Yeah, so fantastic questions. And uh, I really like two of the concepts that you outlined there when we discuss nutrition. The first being zooming in uh, and zooming out, looking at what we're doing uh, on the macro and then micro level um, and then also the dimmer switch. So being able to increase uh, dietary restraint, which is basically what we're doing. So turning uh, the lights on where we look at all the variables within the diet and we monitor and control them a little bit more accurately because we can uh, see more when we have the lights on, right? So we have more restraint and more variable control. We can uh, manage and measure uh, changes in body composition as a result of diet a little bit more accurately. And then we can also turn the dimmer switch down, uh, you know, bringing the brightness in the room down a little bit uh, where we have less uh, dietary restraint and greater flexibility in the diet, so to speak. So very important concepts. And they tie into how we set up a diet um, to be successful. And I think most pertinent to this discussion is having a long-term perspective. One of the most fundamental things when it comes to nutrition is recognizing that you will diet for a lifetime. 
And if you want to lose 10 kilos and truly lose 10 kilos, meaning that you don't find it again, because that's what weight loss is. It's only weight loss if you don't regain that weight. Otherwise, you find it again and it's not weight loss. <laughs> it's just weight regain uh, and yo-yo dieting. So in order to lose weight, we need to adopt a long-term perspective and that's where we zoom out. And when we zoom out, we need to plan and dedicate certain periods to having the dimmer switch turned all the way up where the brightness is really, really high. We have more diet restraint, more rigidity, uh, control structure, and less flexibility in our diet so that we can prioritize the management, manipulation, uh, and control of certain variables to achieve the outcomes that we desire. And this is generally what we need when we go through a fat loss phase or at least when we're getting to the nitty gritty of a fat loss phase where we start to see some pushback from the body, metabolic adaptations such as increased hunger, increased lethargy, disturbed sleep and mood, uh, and all those sorts of uh, nasty things that come with uh, energy restriction and weight loss. And then when it is a little bit more fitting to turn the dimmer switch down and have less uh, dietary restraint and more flexibility, a little bit less... Uh, management and control of the variables within the diet is going to be phases where we're looking to maintain weight and where we want to potentially gain weight. And I think it's really important to plan in phases of weight loss, weight maintenance and weight gain uh, throughout a six, 12 and 24 month period. Uh, if we want to be successful in losing weight uh, and managing our body composition successfully. And this is where a lot of people really go wrong with their diet is that they adopt a, a short term perspective and they're only concerned about the next day, the next week. Uh, at best, they're thinking a month ahead. Um, and this is to their own detriment in many cases because uh, they just become a hamster on the wheel and they're just trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight, trying to lose weight. They fail, keep trying to lose weight. Uh, you know, They gain some weight, they try to lose that weight again and it's just a vicious circle and they end up getting nowhere, very frustrated. Uh, they develop all sorts of, um, you know, issues related to their body image, their relationship with food, uh, their self-esteem will take a hit because they haven't been successful in achieving what it is they've set out to achieve. So fundamentally, to answer the question, I think it's really useful to plan ahead and periodize your diet and having a very strategic approach to your nutrition as you would with your training, I hope, and making sure that you have dedicated timeframes to lose fat maintain that weight loss or at least some of that weight loss uh, and then also gaining weight and each of those phases requires a different level of adherence uh, and dietary restraint and that's where we can use our dimmer switch to turn things up and down uh, accordingly so that's the first thing that i do with my clients to ensure that i set them up for success is that i plan i plan ahead so that they don't feel like a hamster on the wheel so they can see the end of the diet and when they get to the end of the diet we have an exit strategy and a plan of attack to uh, downregulate uh, some of the management um, and control of the variables which requires a high degree of dietary restraint in those fat loss phases so that's the first thing i do and i'm sure we'll get into many other things related to all of that yeah i think with the combination of physiology which you touched upon there and like i said we can cover this maybe more in detail later the best way we can in layman's terms that people can understand that pushback that people get but also psychologically as well they have a pushback because they've just how they set up this diet to be so extreme and i think with a lot of people it's a lot of people do want this short-term thing and what i've been guilty of in the past is kind of talking a lot about 
just sustainable, sustainable, sustainable. However, now as I've got more into coaching, I've been able to kind of change my mentality a little bit and be like, we can go maybe whether it's slightly unsustainable for one week or two weeks where we can get, get body fat off you, where you have got, like I said before, you know, work schedules a little bit calmed down. We can really turn the dimmer switch up, but then I can put you into a more sustainable period for say weight maintenance to hold this new body weight for the next few weeks, for example, before we run into another phase. So this is kind of this nutritional periodization that will ultimately, I believe, help combat this pushback physiologically and obviously psychologically because when people do set up a diet totally. you want it fast but they also they also don't want to do it for they don't want to see oh i've got to diet for 16 weeks and this is like oh this is hell like but i found clients that i've worked with if i give them shorter time frames but have a long-term perspective i find that they deal with it quite well um, could we just run through some examples of that, Jacob, like for what, how you set someone up and give someone some practical takeaways so they could look at this and think, okay, I've got a wedding in three, three weeks time that I want to, you know, drop a dress size for, for example. And then when I come back, I've got a really manic week at work, et cetera, et cetera. And how they could maybe set up their nutrition a little bit better with the approach. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, the discussion so far has been quite conceptual. Um, so I always think that it's a good idea to be able to take what you discuss conceptually and theoretically and be able to apply that in practice. So when setting up a diet for fat loss, uh, the first thing that we need to do is determine the size of the calorie deficit uh, and therefore the target rate of loss. So generally speaking, the higher body fat percentage you are, or the quicker you want to lose weight, uh, the larger the calorie deficit uh, should be. And anywhere from 300 to uh, 800 calories below your maintenance requirements, and there's plenty of calculators you can use online to determine that, um, is where you're going to fall uh, to achieve a rate of loss of anywhere from 0.5 to 1.5% of your body weight per week. And you can upregulate or downregulate how quick or slow you, you want to lose weight based on uh, your goals, uh, your timeframes, as well as how well you're going to be able to adhere to that. So the first step is determining the size of the calorie deficit and your target rate of loss. And I generally re recommend uh, a dieting phase uh, lasting no more than 16 weeks um, without a diet break. And we can discuss diet breaks a little bit more uh, shortly. But for the most part, you don't want to be in a calorie deficit for longer than 16 weeks unless you are at an extremely high body fat percentage and you don't want to lose more than 10% of your body weight in a particular dieting phase. So with that in mind, that's our baseline of what we're trying to achieve um, in both our diet within the day and the week uh, to result in that outcome that we want, which is that target rate of loss. The next step from there is to determine your macronutrient targets. So I recommend when somebody's dying for fat loss, anywhere from 1.8 to 2.2 grams of protein per kg of body weight. I recommend fat intake be anywhere from 0.5 grams to, zero, uh, to 1 gram per kg of body weight. And then your carbohydrates can make up the remainder of your calories. And again, you can work all of this out online. And if people have questions, I'm sure they can ask you how they can do that. Um, or ask me, but basically you want to set your protein intake, set your fat intake and let your carbs come from the rest. 
So that's your macronutrient uh, targets to meet your calorie targets and obviously achieve that desired rate of loss uh, per week. The next step from there is to determine the structure of your diet day to day. So the daily structure of your diet. So this involves selecting what foods you're going to use to meet your macronutrient targets, planning out when you're going to consume those foods, uh, how many meals you're going to have, uh, what the composition of your meals is going to look like, so on and so forth. Uh, so anywhere from three to six meals per day is going to be a good rule of thumb. Uh, you can split your daily calorie allotments evenly across those meals. Uh, generally, I recommend uh, to my clients to incorporate some form of fasting or modified fasting where they'll you know, push their first meal of the day to a little bit later so that they can have uh, larger meals and they don't have to spread their food out over such a long uh, period of time during their waking hours. Um, or to bias their calorie intake towards periods of the day where they either need the most energy or want to consume the most food. And for most folk, that's going to either be before or after training or in the evening. So you could have smaller meals in the periods outside of uh, those two timeframes. Uh, the next step from there is to look at the weekly structure of your diet. So if we're trying to achieve uh, a certain calorie deficit and rate of loss, we need to remember that uh, we don't need to be at a calorie deficit every day in the week uh, to lose body fat. We can have refeeds, um, we can do carb cycling and all these sorts of things where we can have higher and lower calorie intakes on certain days. And this is where knowing your personal tendencies and preferences really comes into play and having some self-awareness um, to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success really goes a long way. So what I'll often do with a lot of my gen pop clients is I will have them follow uh, a calorie deficit Monday through to Friday when I know they're at work, when they've got the most structure in their life, uh, when they're just, you know, going through their regular routine and then on the weekends when they're going to be socializing and all these sorts of things, uh, I'll give them higher calorie intakes, whether it's at a deficit or maintenance, depends on the individual. But for the most part, this sets them up for success because if these are the periods where they're generally going to eat more food, there's no point in me trying to restrict their food or keep them on uh, lower calorie intakes when it's going to be much, much harder. And obviously there's uh, certain times where we have to forego uh, you know, certain social events or eating more food on the weekends, so on and so forth. Um, but for the most part, we want to be able to at least manage that for as long as possible. So I like having my gen pop clients with five low days where we're dieting for fat loss and then two days where we're at a smaller deficit or close to maintenance. And we're still going to achieve that uh, weekly uh, rate of loss that we're looking to achieve. And with my performance related uh, athletes, so my strength athletes, powerlifters, uh, or my bodybuilders and physique competitors, we generally have a similar approach, but we just move those uh, higher calorie days around their hardest training sessions so they can fuel uh, you know, their big squat session or if they've got a massive leg session, whatever the case may be, they can have some more food on those days uh, to fuel their performance and hopefully uh, promote some uh, recovery. So that's the weekly structure and remembering, yeah, we don't need to be at a deficit every single day of the week uh, to achieve our goals. But for the most part, uh, we've got some wiggle room there. And if we can plan ahead of time and make sure that we set up the micro cycle, so the seven-day period, uh, to allow us to adhere as best we can to a calorie deficit, that's going to go a really long way. And then from there, we need to obviously plan a little bit further and look to the meso cycle. And this is where we can potentially have diet breaks. And I will plan in 
uh, diet breaks for my clients if they're traveling uh, where we just look to maintain you know during that week uh, if they're you know got a deload oftentimes I'll bring their calories up just to give them a little bit of uh, mental reprieve uh, to drop off the diet fatigue as well as the physical fatigue that comes with training um, if they've got weddings or you know big social events uh, all these sorts of things um, you know we don't have to be losing weight uh, every single week of the year we can have weeks where we just look to maintain so when it comes to setting up a fat loss phase we zoom right in first and foremost and we've got to determine baseline calorie targets rate of loss macronutrients all those sorts of things and we can start to zoom out a little bit and look to the structure of the day so our food selection our meal composition our meal timing our meal frequency making sure we get all those things right to allow us to adhere best and then zoom out again, look at the micro cycle, make sure we're setting that up uh, for success, and then also the mesocycle level. So I guess uh, that's the process that I go through when setting up a diet for my clients. Now, that's really good. I think with you saying that's going back to what we touched upon when we started, that zooming in, zooming out. They, we look day to day where we're really zooming in. And I like how you mentioned that. Yeah, and, and it's so true. A lot, of, a lot of my clients that I deal with are very busy, busy people um, like I said before they might have kids they haven't got time to sit down and something I've been guilty of in the past is telling people to eat steak and nuts <laughs> when I first started in this industry and, and recommending stuff that just people cannot do nor even want to do like a lot of people are not necessarily hungry in the morning they're so hectic so for them you might say like you said before push the first meal a little bit further back However, when it's the evening, that's when they tend to say, eat the most food. You're kind of allowing them and people understanding that they can create this structure day to day where they can say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to really pull my calories quite low in the daytime. However, then when it comes to the evening, when I sit down for a meal with my husband and I am genuinely hungry, I'm not also missing out on that social aspect of sitting down, having tea with my family. Yeah, no, you're exactly right there. And I think another very important point of discussion in all of this is making sure that you select a dietary system that will work best for you or your clients. So we obviously have many methods that we can apply to achieve the calorie deficit, such as low carb. We can you know, go high carb, low fat, We'd have a keto, we'd have some form of fasting, eliminate certain foods, so on and so forth. Um, but at the end of the day, um, oh, you know, we've got other methods like uh, tracking calories and tracking macros, or you could do the semi-track, which is just tracking protein and um, calories, or you could have some form of portion control, all these sorts of things. But at the end of the day, these are just methods of dietary restraint, uh, looking to control total intake um, to manipulate body weight, right? So it's imperative that people select a method that allows them to achieve the target rate of loss and impart the appropriate amount of control over their diet without causing undue stress psychologically. And this is going to be different for everyone. And this is probably the most complex element of nutritional coaching because there is no answer. Uh, it is very difficult to find out what's going to work for one person. And when you do find what works for one person, there are so many moving parts in their life that can alter the effectiveness and utility of that uh, method uh, that someday it might become uh, less effective or potentially redundant. And I'll give an example here. So 
you might have somebody who teach them how to track calories and macros and they're very motivated. It's coming into summer. They're 100% committed to their diet and weighing, measuring, tracking all of their food to the gram is no longer a problem. They achieve their target rate of loss and they then, uh, you know, after a couple of weeks, they get a little bit tired of weighing, measuring and tracking all their food. They start to become a little bit neurotic. They become obsessive with their diet and it becomes psychologically stressful uh, for them to move away from weighing, measuring and tracking all their food. Um, all of a sudden, you know, summer's over. They're no longer interested in dieting as hard anymore. Uh, and what's next, right? And their uh, situation changes. Um, and therefore, the method of dietary restraint is no longer the same for that goal. And with this comes a lot of trial and error and being aware that we're working with people, not robots. So people need to really understand that the way they approach their diet will change based on not only their goals and the phase of dieting that they're in as per the example I just gave, uh, but also their life situation. Uh, so if they're, you know, socializing more in a given period of their life, if they have events, functions, they're traveling, for example, work stress increases, uh, they might have family issues crop up, all these sorts of things that uh, can impact somebody's emotional and psychological state uh, and ability to restrain their diet. Um, that will require a modification to the approach that they take. So it's really important to keep tabs on these sorts of things um, and be willing to deviate from the initial method that you uh, set in place. So yeah, with that in mind, I think uh, another thing that people really need to be aware of, uh, as you were discussing with, um, if they prefer more food in the evening is uh, what triggers them to overeat. And this could be psychological, it could be situational, it could be emotional, all these sorts of things. Um, and teaching people how to become more self-aware um, and better at managing themselves um, is a tricky task. Uh, but I think it's one worth pursuing because uh, management of self is the ultimate goal uh, because when you can do that, uh, it's pretty powerful. So I think people need to look inwards more often than they look outwards when trying to uh, succeed in weight loss and ask themselves some pretty hard questions um, and be able to look at the problems that they're currently facing um, and be okay with having you know, those problems. Um, and the mistakes that they make. So if somebody overeats, you know, I will generally ask them to record why they overate, where they overate, what foods did they choose to overeat on? Were there any factors that led to that? How did they feel before, during, and after? And you know, be able to essentially become a connoisseur of their mistakes uh, to the point where they understand all four corners of that mistake, uh, like a piece of furniture, and they can you know, flip it upside down and turn it left to right in their head because they know it so well. Uh, and next time, hopefully that information and that self-awareness can lead them uh, to be able to foresee that mistake in the future and shine a torch on it and see it clearly and navigate themselves around that. And I think that's really, really tricky. Um, easier in theory than it is in practice, but I think that's where most people come undone is the self-sabotage, um, you know, reverting back to old behaviors and all these sorts of things. Uh, so, you know, when diet becomes 
uh, problematic for you uh, or your clients and you're struggling to adhere, that's where it's very much uh, necessary to turn your gaze inwards and start reflecting on the things that have been happening or are happening, uh, get to understand them and hopefully learn from them so that in the future you are no longer making those mistakes. Yeah, it's, I think with the approaches that we've, we've mentioned before as well, whilst somebody is on this approach, and it's something that I like to do with the clients as well, when I am doing a certain strategy for somebody, is to really hone in on these behaviours like you said as well, because I, I will always say to them, there will be times where you don't do what is on plan, but it's your reaction to that problem that kind of probably makes things a hell of a lot worse. And obviously teaching them, about when, when, when we come down using calories as an example of this is, okay, we are, and I keep running back to what you mentioned before with a 5-2 to just keep on track with that. So for instance, if you are saying to clients five days in the week, you are going on a lower calorie, obviously things may pop up within their week. And it's kind of have, giving the client the ability to be able to understand nutrition so well that say on a Wednesday, something does pop up where it turns into a high calorie day, you know, at work or something to go out for a conference, which usually happens with a lot of my clients that they can kind of have the ability to not reflect on that problem and just go, okay, that's fine. I've probably gone over my caloric intake today. Tomorrow I'm not going to jump on the scales because I'll probably be a lot of water retention. I'm not going to freak out to that problem. I'm going to go back to a low day tomorrow and I might go take a low day on Saturday and kind of budget my calories like I would my finances and then just get back on track with the problem without, making it worse for themselves. And that's unfortunately what a lot of people do psychologically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of important things that you said there that we need to unpack. And I think the most pressing is compensatory behavior. Um, when people do go off plan or make a mistake, they'll often try to rectify, uh, their, misbehavior with uh, exemplary behavior and that can lead to a number of problems uh, in and of itself and yeah there becomes this uh, constant uh, give and take um, you know kind of battle between oh I'm going to be a little bit naughty I'm going to be super good and then I'm going to be a little bit naughty again and that's not ideal I think uh, the best thing that people can do when they do make a mistake um, overeating being the mistake uh, is to, yes, yeah, sit down, reflect, learn from it, and just resume your regular diet without any further modifications. Um, you know, you got to leave that stuff in the past, learn from the past, uh, but don't uh, alter your immediate uh, decisions um, or plan, rather your plan. Uh, don't alter the plan um, just because you had one day um, or two days, whatever it is, of... Uh, overeating. Uh, I always teach my clients to be prospective uh, rather than re retrospective uh, in their behaviors. Um, so planning for now and the future, not uh, necessarily uh, being retrospective or reactive to the previous decisions that they've made. Um, so if you are going to have a day where you consume more calories than normal, um, plan for that. And then if you're not planning for it and you do end up having a day where you eat more than uh, you otherwise would have, uh, don't try and compensate um, because that kind of uh, reactive and retrospective adjustments uh, in your diet will cause more problems than it solves. So be pro prospective uh, with nutritional adjustments, uh, not retrospective would be my uh, key takeaway there. 
when it when it comes to um we were speaking about these periodization with people jacob a question that i would like to ask you is when when it comes to clients with your training when you mention these different approaches that you use do you often use lots of different approaches with people we spoke about calorie count and we spoke about um whether it's portion control whether it's food swaps whatever it may be to keep that person's calories in a caloric deficit for example do you go through periods where you use different tools on this kind of macro cycle scale so you'll look in and 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 adjust when people cannot potentially count calories for one week because they're just out and about all the time is the approach is that you just switch up weekly and probably people could get a lot from learning what you do so they could take it into their own lives to not necessarily think that it's got to always be constant 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 inputting data into my fitness pal it's the ability to be able to switch between different methods essentially so that they can ultimately adhere to what they're trying to create yeah that's that's a really good question and when when we look at how consistently we need to adhere to a certain protocol uh, I think it's very important to recognize uh, the level of advancement in a dietary sense that the person possesses because I wouldn't be comfortable with somebody who's never tracked calories before never successfully dieted before uh, to change from one approach to another or um, have too much leeway in uh, how they implement the plan because they're, they're simply not educated, uh, experienced, or knowledgeable enough um, to, to do so effectively anyway. Um, and that's where we need to think about uh, dietary restraint um, or the constraints that we put on diet um, being greater for beginners than it is for intermediates or advanced uh, individuals. So uh, we can think about this as, you know, putting a beginner in a very small box, right? And they just have to stay in that box. They've got very little wiggle room. They just need to stay there, keep doing what I've told them to do. Um, you know, no if, buts, or maybes, I need you to just stick to this for now. Uh, but hopefully over time through education, the experience and knowledge and understanding that they get, what that does is that increases the size of the box, right? Meaning that they have more room to move in how they achieve uh, that goal. Um, so with my more advanced uh, dieters, uh, yeah, they certainly have the ability to hit their targets in whatever way possible. It's like I give them the targets, they can track on the fly, they can, you know, uh, guesstimate food portions, they'll be able to go out and have a meal out and, you know, roughly eyeball the calories and macros where a beginner just doesn't have that ability. So for them, it's very much, I need you to weigh, measure, track, all your food, no eating out, so on and so forth, uh, because we need tighter constraints on them to make sure that they can not only achieve the results that they want, um, but they're going to learn a lot through doing that. Um, so we need more constraints on our beginners. And then over time, as somebody becomes a little bit more experienced, they can demonstrate to me that they have uh, a better understanding of nutrition, better behavioral modification. I can now develop open lines of communication and they're not going to misreport. If they are unsure of their calorie intake, they can tell me that. Uh, and they're understanding that it's going to be free from judgment and I'm just here to help all those sorts of things. Uh, I'm much more happy for them to have less constraints on how they go about meeting their targets. Uh, so I guess that's my answer to that. Um, I don't really have a method or a system where 
I will allow people to do certain things on certain days or anything like that. Uh, just the only one being with the five two kind of diet that I outlined earlier. Um, I will have people follow a meal plan for the Monday to Friday, and then I'll have them track their calories on the weekend when they have their higher calorie days. So they've got more flexibility through tracking their calories. They can swap food sources and all those sorts of things. Whereas Monday to Friday, they don't even track, they just follow their meal plan. Um, and then that kind of gives you the best of both worlds in terms of they've got those very tight constraints on the Monday to Friday. Uh, but then we're also teaching them on the weekend how to track weigh, measure foods, all these sorts of things and how to eat out and make sensible choices when they're going to restaurants and those sorts of things. Uh, but aside from that, I'm always keeping in the back of my mind uh, that uh, analogy I gave about beginners being in a very small box with tighter restraints. And then over time, once they become more educated and knowledgeable, the box increases and they have more tools and more wiggle room uh, when it comes to meeting their targets. Oh, I really like that analogy, Jacob. That's a, a good one to use. I'm going to steal that off you. <laughs> I'll use it with I'll use it with my clients because um, I think just touching upon that is you you know with a lot of the literature out there talking about flexible diets and um, rigid diets. I think it'd be a good yeah. point to touch on this because I I know I listened to a podcast the other day with you on actually, and you mentioned this and how people may misconceptualize it a little bit and think rigid necessarily means always like or chicken and broccoli chicken and broccoli chicken and broccoli and then flexible like the if it meets your macros approach and it's more so people's mentality as well isn't it what we've got to think about here it's like you can have a rigid approach where like you said we are for five days you're going to go with a meal plan but however you know when it comes to the weekend we're going to flip out of that and give you a little bit more flexibility with your foods, but you're now going to track again. And I think people get a little bit confused with the whole rigid, flexible mentality and think, oh no, he's given me a really rigid plan. I'm going to develop an eating disorder or something like that. And it's it's making a lot of people really scared of doing that because like, like with this industry and how it is, it's always one way or the other, isn't it? It's never just meet in the middle and understand both perspectives. Yes, yes. Uh, the old rigid versus flexible dieting. Um, and that's where just people are very, uh, I, I won't say they're not educated, but they apply the terminology incorrectly. So in the literature, we're talking about models of dietary restraints, not the type of diet method, right? So it's all about the perception the individual has over their diet with rigid dietary restraints um, being very much a all or nothing, black and white kind of perspective of nutrition, um, whereas flexible dietary restraint is a more graded approach, um, you know, moderating your eating behaviors based on your previous or future meals, uh, all those sorts of things. So it's, it is the perspective, not necessarily the diet method, uh, you know, clean versus flexible dieting. Their methods are not necessarily dietary restraint because you could be following um, flexible dieting but have a very rigid um, mentality, meaning that you freak out if you go five grams over your protein target or if you're 50 calories over your targets, you freak out. Well, although you're following a flexible diet, you've still got a very rigid uh, mentality. So that's the first thing I'll say on that. And the second thing is that it's a false dichotomy, uh, meaning that uh, it is not an either-or situation. Um, you don't necessarily follow or have a rigid diet or a flexible diet. There is uh, often a lot of shades of grey 
in between. Um, so we can't necessarily put people into boxes and say that you have a rigid, you know, dietary uh, restraint. In some cases you can, but more often than not, um, it's not that simple. Um, so we need to remember that with any method of dietary restraint, um, there are innumerable um, variations of those diets. For example, we, we could look at tracking, right? And I actually just wrote an article about this today. Uh, you've got the hard version of tracking, which is weighing, measuring every single morsel of food that you eat, hitting your calorie macronutrient targets to the gram. That's the hard version of tracking. Uh, and that could be seen as a very rigid uh, you know, method of, of dietary restraint, and indeed it is. Uh, but you could also have softer versions of that, right? And you hear a lot of pushback from people saying, oh, well, you know, tracking is, you know, harmful. It's this, that, the rest of it. Uh, this is generally coming from the intuitive eating crowd. Um, but there's softer versions, like I said. So you could, uh, you know, track less frequently. So, you know, in the, in the hard version of tracking, there would be tracking every food, every day for weeks and months on end. The soft version of tracking could be tracking once a week as a bit of a self audit to see how much you're consuming. It could be only tracking foods that are very energy dense and not tracking things like vegetables or fruits and things like that. Um, and it could be not necessarily weighing every single food that you eat, but just the energy dense stuff for uh, you know, certain meals of the day, you measure them, then the rest you sort of eyeball and guesstimate, um, so on and so forth. So I think a lot of the problem is that the intuitive eating crowd or the anti-trackers, they pose that like intuitive eating is the answer and tracking is harmful and postulate that it's either intuitive eating or tracking as an either or situation. And that's a black and white perspective of diet. And that's a logical fallacy. That's the false dichotomy I was talking about. Um, but in short, there are many situations in life where we do have choices between one thing or another, but sometimes there's a whole range of options. You could have three, four, five, 169, right? Um, and selecting a method of diet is the same um, as having a lot of different options, right? And macro tracking um, does have innumerable variations um, and the rigid hard version of it is only one op option amongst you know, infinite others, right? Um, so the false dichotomy is that these intuitive eating people or folks who are anti-clean eating or whatever it is, um, you know, they oversimplify the range of dietary options that you have. Um, you know, so it's horses for courses, uh, context is key, and there's always a lot more nuance to these kind of discussions. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I did a post myself on this intuitive eating the other day. It's like most people have been intuitively eating all their lives, and especially if people are coming to us and they are overweight, giving them this message of keep eating intuitively is potentially more harmful than what it does. <laughs> and it, it is like you say, it's about, it doesn't have to be so aggressive, like an absolute bodybuilder where they are weighing everything out and living life like that. There's so many means to tracking in general, isn't there? And that, that's what a lot of people become a little bit lost in. I want to kind of just touch upon, because we've, we've gone over how people set up with the calories pretty much, how we can zoom in and zoom out. And I think that's important, obviously, taking into consideration people's behaviors, lifestyle, and how we can adjust day to day, week to week, month to month. I think just touching upon the 
zooming in, zooming out again and the bigger picture perspective and the problems people run into in terms of physiologically when it comes to dieting? Yeah, so I think the most uh, potent means of keeping someone adherent to a diet to push back against the physiological adaptations that they experience is to modulate the palatability of food throughout the diet. Because as we know, not only the longer we diet, but the more weight we lose, the hungrier we get, and the more our cravings uh, for food go up. So as my clients diet further and further um, away from their body fat settling point range, and they start experiencing that homeostatic pushback, so hunger levels increase, I will get them to start to decrease uh, the palatability of their food, opting for more bland, uh, you know, high volume, very boring foods so that they can offset the hedonic power of food. And this is not my concept. This is a concept that uh, was formally introduced to me by Dr. Mike Isratel. Um, he calls it the hedonic staircase of dining. Uh, but it's something I had done for years without having formally coined it uh, as Mike did. And he has a knack for doing that. Uh, I'll be doing something in practice and then he comes out with uh, a way to model it or conceptualize it better and drives me insane because I always think, why the hell didn't I think of that? I've been doing that for ages. Um, but he's brilliant in that sense. Um, and I think a lot of practitioners would feel the same way. Um, Mike's just uh, a wizard with words uh, and very, very intelligent man. Uh, so yeah, when my clients diet and their hunger goes up, we will start modulating the palatability of food, walking down the staircase of palatability, making their foods, you know, really, really bland and boring, less spices, less herbs, um, you know, less food sources, so less variety in their diet, just really keeping things plain and simple. So there are no triggers that sort of initiate those, uh, hunger, um, or those cravings, sorry, that we experience through hunger. Um, and then as they come out of the diet, we'll start slowly reintroducing more foods, uh, more palatability uh, within the diets, um, spices, herbs, a variety, all those sorts of things. Um, and then obviously when we're in a gaining phase, that's when we need to have greater palatability so that we can offset um, the lack of hunger. Because when you're in a massing phase, it gets harder and harder to meet your calories because you just don't want to eat food. And that's where you need to have foods that are very palatable. So more variety in your diet, um, you know, less food volume, all those sorts of things. So basically, there's a number of uh, anti-hedonic strategies that we can use during a fat loss phase. So food palatability is one of them. Food volume is the other. I'll generally get them to water load. Uh, so before, during, and after a meal to uh, you know, have some effect on gut distension, uh, increase their protein intake potentially, decrease their meal frequency, so how many meals are eating in a day, increasing caffeine consumption, uh, chewing slower, uh, drinking more diet soft drink, provided that it doesn't cause gastrointestinal distress or potentially lead to cravings. Uh, so there's some really powerful strategies we can use to offset some of the physiological adaptations uh, when someone is losing weight and eating at a calorie deficit for an extended period. Yeah, I like the staircase analogy, like you said, with, with Mike Isretel. Um, yeah, fucking Mike. Basically, like what, what you are saying is when, when people are coming into these, um, this pushback physiologically from the body, the cravings are through the roof. Essentially, instead of feeding into that issue, as in saying, okay, we're going to give you, you know, you can have some chocolate or you can have that as long as it fits within your calories, 
you're kind of taking a different spin on that and kind of increasing the food volume, bringing down the palatability of them food. Yeah, exactly. So I think there is a time and place to allow for flexibility uh, within a diet. Um, and in extreme cases, such as a contest prep, or when someone's really, really lean, dieting for a really long time, uh, giving them more flexibility can often seem like a good idea in the short term, but it can be a bad idea in the long term because it can make it harder for them to then get back to their bland and boring foods. Uh, their motivation to continue dieting can go down because like, wow, that was amazing. That's so much better than what I'm you know, doing on my diet. Do I really want to diet? It can just bring about all this uh, confusion and negativity uh, that makes dieting harder. So it's very context dependent. Some cases, uh, telling someone to go out for a meal or to have a little bit of chocolate, whatever the case may be, even if it fits, all that sort of thing, uh, can be a good idea, um, despite generally wanting to bring uh, the palatability of food down. Um, but in many cases, it's probably not. Um, and that's where it depends on how serious the individual is about achieving their goals, how extreme their goals are, and also their prior uh, context, as well as the current context and the future context. Because if they've only got two more weeks of dieting left and you want to give them more palatability in their diet, it's like, well, they've only got two more weeks. Do they really need that? Could that potentially interrupt the next two weeks? If they've got another six months, it's like, okay, well, maybe we do need to give them a little bit more flexibility in their diet now because they've got to sustain it for a much longer period of time, right? So you always need to be assessing uh, with a very critical lens, uh, the past, the present, and the future, thinking on that timeline uh, when you're making decisions uh, about your nutrition, always taking into consideration the uh, prior history of the client, both from a physiological, psychological, and behavioral perspective, uh, the current situation that you're now facing, as well as uh, the implications of any decision you make now for the future. Yeah, it goes back to the periodization we spoke about, doesn't it? So if somebody has got you know, they are running a fat loss phase where you are trying to be quite aggressive with them and a little bit, maybe they'll feel like, oh, he's being a little bit harsh on me. It's only for a short period of time and educating the individual that it is only for a short period of time. But in, on week three, for example, because we've made this plan, we can then say, okay, on week three, we are going to be giving you more calories anyway. And I'm going to basically not be as harsh with the flexibility as such to hopefully reverse these physiological adaptations that occur when you have lost a lot of weight. This is where some people miss the forest for the trees um, and they look to manipulate diet based on physiology. But I think the best thing to do is look at manipulating diet based on um, psychology. And the reason being is that psychology will be kind of the end of the line for how somebody sticks to their diet, right? Um, but the physiology impacts their psychology, right? Um, so you don't need to try to directly correlate and align your diet with physiology. Look to the psychology because it'll be impacting, it'll be impacted by the physiology and it's probably more appropriate because uh, generally psychology will encompass everything else um, that can influence someone's adherence. So in that kind of situation, we have these very fluctuating uh, levels of adherence, whether it's for psychological reasons, social reasons, physiological reasons, what I'll generally do is set up three different calorie targets for a week. 
And I don't mind if the client has any of those calorie intakes for any number of days within that week, um, but they've got three calorie targets. So they have a low day, which is like a larger deficit, might be like 500 calorie deficit. They'll have a moderate day, which is like a 300 calorie deficit. And then they might have um, a very easy day, which is like either maintenance or like a 100 calorie deficit. And I will tell that client that I don't mind which day you take, but you have to plan that on the day, which day you are going to be taking. Um, and therefore, if they're having a really shit week because of their period, they might opt for the easiest day. They're still in a calorie deficit. It's just easier, right? Um, if they've got work, uh, stress, all that kind of stuff, they could maybe opt for the, the moderate calorie deficit day. And if they've got a clear week and all systems go, they could offer the hard calorie deficit day. And hey, they might have something crop up during that week and they could then go for the easy calorie deficit day, right? And that way you're still achieving a deficit. You obviously have to educate this individual that you know, results will vary, um, you know, depending on how many days they've chosen and they have to be on board with, with the plan, so on and so forth. Uh, but I think that kind of uh, gives them the autonomy and the ability to choose um, an appropriate level of calorie deficit based on you know what the day calls for, and this for those individuals who are experiencing yeah quite a tumultuous and turbulent um, you know life, whether that's from physiological effects of the hormones as a result of their menstrual cycle, whether it's the psychological stresses that come for work, whether it's social you know outings and events that are just cropping up left, right, and center, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think that's a useful tactic. No, that is a really good tactic to use and look at it like that. And I do think that will probably hopefully help a lot of the listeners to look at these adherence issues because what they might try and do, say, for instance, when it is the time of the month for a lot of women, they may they put a little bit too much pressure on themselves or depending what part of the cycle they're in, where they do ramp up their activity when they are feeling fatigued, when hunger is going through the roof, they'll try to adopt this really kind of rigid, strict horrible diet on themselves or sorry aggressive calorie deficit but they could actually just go to maintenance for that week so we're going to give you a little bit more food we're not going to necessarily chase weight loss because obviously again this is case dependent some females react differently to types of the month than others um, but you could say right for one week we're going to get more food you're going to go to maintenance calories say we're going to take that physiological burden off you hopefully and that psychological burden as well which you said correlates to that and then the week after, when you are feeling good again, cravings have lowered, your energy is back up, let's go into more of an aggressive calorie deficit this week. Yeah, totally. I think it works well. I think, I think these approaches and, and, and what we've discussed today and how people can periodize their nutrition when they do face this diet fatigue from, from dieting, this pushback physiologically or psychologically, which can ultimately affect adherence. We've covered some strategies people can use i think we've covered quite a bit jacob i think we could have gone on for more and more <laughs> about, about other stuff and things like that but i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on i would love to definitely get you on again because i know you've got much more to offer than what we've spoke about today and um yeah thanks again mate and just before we go do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of a shout where they can find you and, and your resources and things like that because i'm sure they'll benefit from your articles and your posts yeah so firstly thank you very much for having me on i genuinely appreciate you getting up at 7 a.m uh, it was very yeah. early over there for you so thank you for that and uh yeah i'd love to come back on again and uh shoot the shit 
talk about uh, all things diet training, so on and so forth. Uh, but listeners can find me at uh, Jacob Skepis, S-C-H-E-P-I-S, uh, underscore JPS on Instagram, uh, JPS Health underscore Fitness uh, on Instagram, and JPS underscore Education. Uh, there are th- well, my three accounts, JPS Education is where we put a lot of infographics, uh, all our articles, stuff like that. So as the name suggests, all about education, JPS Health and Fitness is our coaching page. So more of a lifestyle and what's going on at JPS kind of thing. And uh, yeah, my page is a mixed bag of what's going on in my world and anything I feel is uh, interesting and relevant to, to share. Uh, you can find us www.jpshealthandfitness.com.au. Plenty of blogs and whatnot over there. And on YouTube, just search JPS Health and Fitness uh, for our podcast. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jacob. Not a problem, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fat Fix podcast. And I hope you all enjoyed today's show. If you have not already, please make sure you subscribe and you don't miss out on any future episodes. I also can't stress enough how much it means to me, to those that have left me a star rating and written review on iTunes. This will ultimately help me reach more people like you and really help them too. So please give me two minutes of your time to do this if you haven't already. Lastly, any shares and mentions on social media is also massively appreciated. I will see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you very much.